Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for the latest article on Pastor Resources. Why do children love Jesus so much? In the Gospels, it is clear that they love Jesus because he first loved them. Jesus wasn't posing for future artists when he invited children to gather around him. Actually, he didn't have to do any coaxing. Children loved him. So did their parents, who were eager for Jesus to bless their children. Like a beloved uncle or a grandfather, Jesus would put his hands on their head and pray for them. I can imagine parents reminding their children, Do you remember when Jesus prayed for you? What a treasured memory. It's sometimes said that adults who love children at heart are really kids themselves. That is, they retain the best qualities of their childhood. While some grown-ups love to be around kids, some apparently don't. There's no question which when we look at Jesus. Jesus loved to be with children. During his three and a half years of ministry as an adult, we see Jesus giving an amazing amount of priority to ministry to children. Jesus talks with children. Sometimes only parents and grandparents usually did this in that culture. Jesus commends their faith of little children who in that culture were sometimes considered incapable and unable to truly embrace religious faith until they were almost teenagers. Not only that, but we see Jesus blessing children. We see him feeding them. We see Jesus using a little boy's sack lunch to feed multitudes and send 12 hefty baskets full of leftovers to help feed others. Beyond that, we see Jesus healing boys and girls who are demon-possessed and curing others who are sick and dying. He even resurrects a 12-year-old girl who had just died and an older boy who had died a few hours earlier. In his preaching and teaching, Jesus said that children are a strategic, essential part of the kingdom in heaven and on earth. In so many words, Jesus told his disciples, Listen, my kingdom belongs to kids. Not only that, but Jesus goes on to say, Unless you become like a little kid, you can't even get into my kingdom. What is Jesus talking about? Well, what are kids good at doing? They are good at receiving. When you're a small child, your mom and dad gives you some food. What do you do? You receive it. Your beloved grandparents send you a birthday satchel with five shekels in it. What do you do? You receive it. God gives you a warm sunny day. You go outside and play. What do you do? You receive it. Same thing applies when it comes to God's kingdom. Can you work really hard to get a part of God's kingdom? No. Can you be good enough for long enough and get a part of God's kingdom? Again, no. Can you pay lots of money to get a part of God's kingdom? No. That's what grown-ups would like to try to do. Jesus says, It's not the way to get my kingdom. My kingdom isn't like that at all. To get my kingdom, you have to lower yourself down. Humble yourself and trust me. What do you have to do to get a part of God's kingdom? That's right, you have to receive something, or specifically, someone. In a bygone era, millions of children said a common bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like many classic nursery rhymes and fairy tales, it's a bit sober, don't you think? Yet, we can't hide children from the sobering news that the day comes when Jesus Christ's public ministry here on earth ends. God became flesh, bears the sin of the world, suffers the horrors of crucifixion, gives up his spirit, and his lifeless body is buried in a rich man's tomb. Even then, Jesus is true to his word, never the hypocrite. He shows the full extent of his love, not just dying, but keeping his promise from the dead. In prayer this morning, I marveled again at the wonderful gifts that are ours because of God's infinite love, ultimate sacrifice, and eternal triumph. The gospel truly is good news to all. In all we do with children, let us be sure to cultivate their love for Jesus, our victorious King and Savior. But that's not enough. We also have to guard their love for Jesus. 
I had the privilege of interviewing a fairly large group of third to sixth graders at my church. Each child sat on a hot seat and answered five questions. The first four answers were easy. Name, grade, number of siblings, and how many years have you gone to this church? The final answer, although a bit tougher, talk about when it's hard for you to trust God. I was amazed at their responses. First, they had a much shorter list of reasons than adults usually do. Second, several of the children honestly and sincerely told me it's always been easy for me to trust God. You should have seen the smiles on their faces. What could possibly ruin such a wonderful, childlike trust of God? Sadly, it's very possible for a child to grow up in faith community, learn lots of Bible stories, sing lots of songs, memorize plenty of scriptures, say all the right things, look good, very good, and yet lose his or her faith. Sometimes it's the individual's own choice. Sometimes, however, it's because of the sinful terrible choices of adults the child should be able to trust. Scriptures couldn't be clear that anyone who repeatedly and severely harms boys and girls or young adults by sinning against them physically, psychologically, sexually, socially, or even spiritually is in grave danger of God's judgment. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 and 6. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea, NIV. Believe me, ancient Jewish men feared drowning above all else. Even experienced fishermen like Peter and Andrew, James and John were scared to death of drowning. Sure, some like Peter could swim, but that wasn't a given. There certainly was no Michael Ben Phelps back then. Even if there were, imagine a judge ordering a crew of Roman sailors to take you 10 miles out into the Mediterranean Sea, tie a 100-pound millstone around your neck, and send you to the bottom of Davy Jones' locker. Peter and his fellow disciples shuddered at the thought. It should make us shudder too. Why? Because Jesus warns us, each and every one of us, that such a fate would be much better than causing a child to lose his or her faith in Christ. The point Jesus is making here is crystal clear. Don't let your attitude, your words, or your actions soil or steal the God-given faith of a child. But perhaps Jesus Christ's warning should also cause us to think of smaller ways we can cause children to begin to lose their faith. By our critical attitudes, by our hypocrisy, self-centered living, anything that doesn't truly reflect Christ-like, childlike kingdom living. I'm not talking about being perfect. Instead, I'm saying that a child's faith grows, not diminishes when an adult apologizes to the child for, say, losing his or her temper. When it comes to sharing the love of Jesus, let's always make sure it includes children. And then, let's do all we can to guard their trust in Jesus, the faith of a child. Some claim a small child's belief in God doesn't really count. But that's not the case. The Apostle Paul could say to Timothy, Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 14-15, NIV. True, children can't understand everything they're taught. So, there's nothing wrong about a child's inadequate concept of God or the Christian faith. After all, 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven from the NIV says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. The Bible does not criticize a child's way of thinking. The one who made us knows us. This article was written by David Sanford. He coaches leaders passionate about demonstrating the relevance of Jesus Christ in every major sphere of life. His book and Bible projects have been published by Zondervan, Tyndall, Thomas Nelson, 
Doubleday, and Amazon. His speaking engagements have arranged everywhere from UC Berkeley, California, to the Billy Graham Center at The Cove, North Carolina. We thank you for joining us today for the reading of our latest article. You can find these articles written at pastorresources.com.